You're listening to episode 46 of the Journey to Launch podcast, how to start and run a successful side hustle with money scientist, Dr. Maria James. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, 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 journeyers. Welcome back to another episode of the Journey to Launch podcast. I have on today's podcast, money scientist, Dr. Maria James. And I'm really excited about this because we are talking all about side hustles and how to manage side hustles. A lot of you guys are working full time. You want to start something. You want to have something that's successful, that brings you in money, that can help propel you to your financial goals. So we're going to talk about how to do that. A little bit about Dr. Maria James. She's known as a money scientist, and she spent more than 10 years as a solo molecular scientist before applying the skills she learned as a scientist to the teaching of businesses and to business owners and about finance. So during that time in college and during her experience of studying, she maximized her resources and developed side hustles that brought in an extra $10,000 for her. So moving away from science, she has developed an awesome, awesome platform called the Pocket of Money and Pocket of Money podcast to where she provides financial advice and resources for entrepreneurs and business owners. In this episode, we discuss how to manage a full-time job and side hustle, how to turn a side hustle into a successful business, and then just different scientific principles that you can apply to your money. And we talk about so much more. So I'm excited to bring Dr. Maria James on. If you want any of the episode show notes, you can go to journeytolaunch.com slash episode 46. There you'll find any of the links that Dr. Maria James and I talk about. And before we hop into this episode, just wanted to say thank you for joining. If you are a new listener, thank you for coming back. If you're a repeat listener, I really appreciate it. And as always, if you want to keep connected, follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as Journey to Launch. Also, don't forget to join my private Facebook community at journeytolaunch.com slash community. And as I always say, please remember to leave that review if you listen to Apple Podcasts. It's really important. But most importantly, just share this with your family and friends if you think this would be interesting to them. Now, let's hop into this amazing conversation with Dr. Maria James. Hey, journeyers. I'm super excited today to talk to Dr. Maria James, also known as the money scientist. Hi, Maria. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. And I think this episode will help a lot of people. I feel like I say that line all the time, but I'm really serious <laughs> each time I say it because one of the things that I talk about a lot is income. How do we increase our income? How do we reach our financial goals? And apart from your main job, if you're listening and you have a main job and working hard at that and making as much money as you can, I know what interests a lot of people are like starting businesses, side hustles. And like myself, Journey to Launch started and is currently a side hustle that I'm looking to turn into my full-time hustle. 
But I know there's so many people listening who want to learn more about how does one do that? How does one manage the time, a full-time job and a side hustle, something they're interested in starting? And so Dr. Maria James is on to tell us how we can do that. Right, Maria? Yes. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the business models, like how to set up a successful business from the start. So that way, if you're looking to transition into your own business after working on it as a side hustle, you can do that. Maria, I want you to go into your background a bit because I find it very impressive, your educational background and what you've been able to accomplish with your personal finances. So can you just talk a little bit about that? Sure. And thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I am an actual scientist. People wonder how I created the moniker, the money scientist. And that's because I have my PhD in cellular molecular medicine. So what that means is I did research on HIV, specifically mother to child transmission. So in the lab in grad school is where I kind of honed my analytical thinking skills and critical thinking, strategic thinking skills. And I applied that to money. I was on a stipend while in graduate school. And so after taxes, it broke down to about $23,000 a year. And I really started figuring things out in college. And then in grad school, I was like, I'm really, (laughs) you really need to figure this out. And so started creating tools and different things like that for myself and was able to save up over $10,000. And people kept asking me how I did that. Other grad students were like, "Um, we make the same amount. So what's going on over there? (laughs) Mm -hmm. So then decided like, hey, this is something that I can do because I was already doing woman empowerment through my nonprofit, Heal Woman to Heal a Nation. So back in 2004, when I was a freshman in college, my sister had this grand idea of starting up Heal Woman to Heal a Nation for woman empowerment. And so myself, her, and another friend co-founded the nonprofit Heal Woman to Heal a Nation. And so we did women empowerment where we had conferences and workshops where we taught on specific topics to basically help women become powerful leaders in their communities so that we can make a positive impact on the community. So I was already doing that through the nonprofit. And I thought financial empowerment, that's one of the pieces that we really need. And that's when I started Pocket of Money after I finished graduate school. Okay, so are you currently practicing? I know you have a doctorate degree, right? But do you do anything with that degree now apart from applying the strategic side of what you learned and how to think to your finances? No, I ran away from science. I still love science, but I knew that I didn't want to be at the bench running experiments anymore. Yeah, I was that scientist where you think of like the white lab coat Mm -hmm. and the gloves and like the Petri dish. Yeah, all of that. (laughs) I still think that's interesting because you pivoted. I mean, I know a lot of people are maybe in school or thinking about school or have degrees that they currently don't use, but it sets the foundation for who they are. I mean, I say nothing is like a waste of time. Everything builds upon your educational experience and your general life experiences that make you the person you are. So it's interesting that you pivoted from that and you seem to now be following your passion, which is personal finance and entrepreneurship and helping others. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, I use my degree every day. 
like you said, nothing is wasted because the whole way of thinking and being able to do research and gather data, analyze that data, do the stats, come up with conclusions, all of that was honed in graduate school. And I have, I think it's about six publications out there from the research that I did and going through that process of actually writing a manuscript, having it be peer reviewed, all of those pieces gave me soft skills that I use in my business. So um, as you said, nothing gets wasted. So anyone who's thinking of pivoting, you're still going to use that degree. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're still going to use it every day in your business. But a lot of people consider it to be a 180. They're like, you were in science and medicine and now you do finance. To me, it was like a very natural transition. Now, mind you, I did do some soul searching after I finished my (laughs) my degree before I I jumped into doing the financial empowerment. But I was doing finance the whole time because I was director of finance of the nonprofit. So I'd been handling business finances for like 10 years or whatever it was because I took over in like 2005 handling the finances for the nonprofit. So It was finance and science, which is why I ended up saying like I work in the money lab when I started Pocket of Money, because science and finance have been my world for at least 10 years. So for me, it was like a very natural, I'm going to focus on this side of my passion now. Right. And I just have to ask, because anytime I hear that someone has gone through that much schooling, their student loan debt, did you have (laughs) or do you have a lot of that? (laughs) Yes, still paying off the student loan debt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. From undergrad. So we're going to get to the business stuff and side hustles soon, but I'm also curious to know, you transfer your skills and your knowledge between the scientific world and the finance world. And so you help people, like you said, it's a money lab. What can you take from the science lab and apply to your money that people are listening that they can use in their own life? I'm just curious. Mm-hmm. So if you... Think back to whenever you took your last science class, right? You probably had to learn the scientific method where you start with a question or then you have to do a little bit of research or get a little bit of information and you come up with a hypothesis where say, I think this is what will happen in regards to my question from what I learned. And then you have to design an experiment in order to test that hypothesis And then you take whatever came out of that experiment and either your question is answered or more questions have popped up and you need to do another experiment and you keep going that way. So when you apply that to finances, your finances are fluid and you never reach an endpoint. As long as you're alive, you have to handle your personal finances. And so there's always a way to optimize and test what you're doing so that you can do even better. So you can have even more money to put towards financial goals or have even more to put towards investments or do investments better. Like there's always something that you can optimize. And so that is how you can apply that method to your personal finances. Stop thinking of it as, okay, I set this budget. Now I have a budget. Okay, now I'm going to save and now I'm going to, it's not one and done right? You're always going to be shifting and changing because your life is shifting and changing. So your process and your protocol is going to shift and change. The other piece of it is to create protocols. That's one thing that I definitely do. uh, And it's probably, I would say it was augmented by my scientific training is that I create a protocol for everything. And it's literally just step by step what you need to do. And so Think of a very simple thing like I'm a tea drinker. 
So you don't think you have a protocol for making and drinking your tea, but you do. There's steps that you take, whether you put the water in the cup and put it in the microwave and then get your tea bag and let it sit, or you put the water on the stove and you boil it, or you have a tea kettle, you put the water in, you let it boil, then you steep it, then you, you have a protocol for everything. So you should have a protocol when it comes to your financial goals and the different things that you're doing with your finances. So create a protocol for everything and follow through and step, and that's going to allow you to better optimize it as well, because you can take a look back at the protocol and say, okay, this particular step needs to shift. Mm-hmm. So if we were to take an example, someone has a goal of paying off student loan debt and maybe they set the goal. They want to do that in five years. The protocol will involve the steps they are going to do to help get them to that goal. So whether that is working extra shifts, increasing their income through the extra shifts or a side hustle and then saving X amount each month or X amount each year. Like you said, you have to be flexible. Like a scientist, you have to understand that the situation or the external conditions might change. So you might have to adjust as you go. Is that kind of what you mean by protocol? Right, right, exactly. So that person is going to write down step by step what they're going to do. So, okay, one, I'm going to organize all the debt that I have. All right. Two, I'm going to write out and organize the list that I just wrote out. What order am I going to pay them down in? Okay. Three, how much am I going to put towards this debt? Which debt am I tackling first? You know, like they're going step by step. And then all you have to do is then follow that protocol and continue optimizing it. And I like the idea of looking at it as a protocol because it seems more official that way. So many people have these goals in their head and things they want to do and they never write it down. And this is why I say it's so important to create the steps to write it down because you get to organize what you're doing. And it seems so simple, but even just calling it a protocol, even just taking it that serious makes you feel, I would think, more committed to accomplishing that goal. So I like that frame of thought. Yes. So going to now side hustles and entrepreneurship and how one can increase their income. So there are so many of us, me included, working full-time jobs and then trying to find our passion on the side, whether that's that passion to just earn us extra money or maybe it's the passion that we can turn into our full-time hustle. How does one do that? Because, you know, as you know, time is limited and we all have other responsibilities outside of our jobs. So maybe we have a spouse, kids, all these time constraints and things pulling at us. How does one figure out how to start or manage a side hustle with all that going on? Once you figure out what your side hustle will be, what you want to do, then it's really about maximizing the time that you have. So we know that you're working for someone else. You are commuting to work. You are sitting at work or whatever you're doing for work, but you're at work occupied with their tasks for the time that you're at work and then you have to commute home. So you have to figure out where your pockets of time are that you can work on your business. So how many hours do you have during the day, during the week that you can put to working towards your business and building your side hustle? And usually the weekend is really great for most people to build in a lot of time. And what you want to do is really think about how can you piece together a good 10 maybe up to 20 hours during the week that you can work on your side hustle. Now, the week meaning the seven-day week, like 10 to 20 hours? Right, right, the seven-day week. And as people build on their entrepreneurship, 
some will realize the weekend is just great time <laughs> to work <laughs> on, on business. But, you know, I must say, so that all sounds amazing, right? But I find with kids and a mm-hmm. husband that I don't have as much time on the weekends because, I mean, I could sneak some work in when they're napping and after bedtime, right? But, mm-hmm. and I can consider probably saying to my husband, okay, can you just for a couple hours watch them or take care of them while I get this block of work done in three hours? So that's possible too, but I do find it harder with kids. Do you have any kind of advice or thoughts around that? Yeah, I would say to set your business hours because then it becomes a routine and it becomes regular for you, your family and your friends, where it's like we know that during this block of time, Jamila's working so that they know they have to work around that period of time. And it also will help you to get in the frame of mind of, okay, I'm working on business right now. I can get these things done so that you can be fully present in the other times when you're not working on business. Because we know that the thoughts can keep going and then it bleeds into everything, right? You're thinking about, okay, that blog article, that podcast episode, that update I got to make on the website while you're trying to do other things. But if you have set business hours where it's like, I know I'm going to be working on my business during these specific time periods. The thoughts don't completely stop, but it's much easier to say, okay, I know I'm going to get to that. Let me be fully present as I'm playing with my child. Let me be fully present as I'm doing whatever that you're doing with your family or your friends. They can also give you that grace to say, okay, I know you're done at this time. So after that time is when we'll get to this. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I like the business hour concept and I like framing it around because you're doing it that way you are also being more present for your children when you're not doing that work you don't have that anxiety around how much you have to do because maybe you spent a couple hours doing that already exactly and just set the schedule and really stick to it and you know ask sit down and have a conversation with the family so that you can stick to it and they can respect it and you can respect it because you got to show up for yourself, the same way you show up for that job where it's like, Ugh, I don't really want to, but I know I got to go in. You got to do the same thing for your business. Work your business hours, make them non-negotiable. Mm, okay, I like that. So what are some then other management tips or hacks for people who are trying to juggle having a business and still working? I would say to also list your revenue generating activities. So you want to make sure that you're doing at least one revenue generating activity either every day or every week, depending on how much time you have to put towards the side hustle throughout the week and make sure that, you know, all right, on this day, I know I need to pitch on this day. I need to contact these companies on this day. I need to write these proposals and get them out. Whatever those revenue generating activities are that are pertinent to your business, make sure you're putting in the time to get those done so that we can make sure the tasks and activities that actually bring money in are getting done so that we're not focused so much on the busy work. Mm -hmm. I would definitely agree with that. And would you say too that a key to finding more time is outsourcing? So getting the busy work off your plate and having other people do it for you and paying them, whether it's you're actually paying them or finding an intern to do something for you? Oh, for sure. That's definitely one of the ways that you can be more productive and better manage your time is to get better tools and get um, automation tools as well. So one, like you said, 
outsource. So Upwork is a great site to find great freelancers. Fiverr is a great site. They used to have it where every gig started at like $5 or something like that. But I think they've now changed it a bit where each freelancer has packages that you can take advantage of. But those are two great sites to find freelancers. Another thing is social media. So everyone uses social media. You probably have different profiles and accounts that you use. And I would suggest setting up business ones as well to kind of have that separation between personal and business. And then get an automation tool like Hootsuite, Buffer, Meet Edgar. Those are great automation tools where you can schedule posts to go out. So things are going out while you're at work. Things are going out while you're playing with the kids. Things are going out while you're napping. If you can fit a nap in, have those automation tools and outsource if you have the money to do that. Your last words were the money to do that. Mm -hmm. So in this midst of trying to figure out what they want to do, setting their goals for their finances and then figuring out, okay, a side hustle will help me get there. Starting a business will help me get there. They are almost stuck or having to contemplate, well, my business maybe is not bringing in any revenue right now. It's not really making much money. How much can I then afford to put into the tools and the resources and even the time? So sometimes even the time to set these systems up in the upfront work takes a lot of time. But once you do it, it helps you. Just like if you maybe invest in an asset in perpetuity, you'll get something in return. How does one make that decision on I'm not making much money, but so how much should I put into this to help me gain back my time or make things easier? Once you've done your budget, you know how much wiggle room you have as for money that you can put towards the business. So if you're starting up a side hustle, you have a side hustle and you want it to become a full-fledged small business, put a line item in your personal account. If you're bootstrapping it, put a line item in your personal budget business expenses. And that's money that you funnel into your business. So you should know how much money you can put towards your business per month. And then in order to make sure that you are kind of maximizing your dollars, you know, focus on the items that have the biggest return on investment, right? So figure out what is that potential return on investment? So we talked about hiring freelancers. Okay, so let's say that you're building a website. And I'm using this because this is an example that I experienced. (laughs) So I'll just say what mine was. So I was redoing my website and I was trying to figure out how to get the navigation bar the way that I needed it to be. And I spent, I think, maybe two weeks, (laughs) of course, (laughs) not doing it consistently, but like two weeks trying to figure out the code to get this thing done. I'm not a coder. I'm not a programmer. I'm like, I know a little bit of code, but that's about it. And I'm trying to figure it out and could not figure it out. Hired a guy on Fiverr. I think it cost me about $10 when everything was said and done. And he did it in about 10 minutes. Mm. Now, looking at the return on investment there, instead of thinking, oh, I spent $10 on something that maybe I could have done myself, No, I wasted how many hours during the two weeks that could have been spent on revenue generating activities trying to figure this thing out instead of paying the $10 to someone else who that's their genius. Let them work in their genius, pay them the money and get it done quickly. Mm -hmm. And I've definitely had (laughs) those experiences myself. And it's funny, the more and more I get deeper into this business, the more and more I realize the importance of my time, especially with all the commitments and things I have going on. But in the beginning, so did I. I did 
everything myself. And it would take me hours. Like I look back now at the things I used to do and I would never do them now. Like I would hire someone or I would outsource it, figure something out. But I'm thinking about like the hours and hours it took me to like get my website up or figure out the smallest little glitch. And I'm just like, now I know someone where I can email them and they'll say, oh, this costs $20, $30 to fix. And I'm just like, yes, do it because the hour or two hours it's going to take me, it's not worth that time, especially when you are working still full time. Because for me, after I come home, after the kids go to bed, I have a short window, unless I'm staying up till 1, 2 a.m. in the morning, a real short window of a couple hours to get things done. And I don't want to spend that on the mundane, busy work where I could be thinking of or creating revenue generating, growth generating tasks or products or something. Right, right, exactly. As much of the things that someone else can do, let someone else do them. And you made up a great, great point off of the the comment because when you're first starting up, it's like, but I don't have all of this money, so I can't continuously hire people to do it. And I get it, and that's true. So just pick the things that are going to have the biggest return on investment, things that would actually eat up a ton of your time or things that just it makes sense for someone else to do it. And you're going to get really great return on investment and hire out for those things. And then the other things you can go ahead and do yourself. Mm -hmm. And I would say, think about the things you just don't like doing in all our businesses. You might have just something you just like, it just gives you hives. It does not make you feel good. It gives you anxiety. It's just not your skill set. So it's more of to that peace of mind that time, that's also equally important to you and your just <laughs> mentality and wanting you to continue on in the business because I've started a couple of businesses in the past and what I found, the reasons why I stopped them was because they became more like a chore. I already have a full-time job in which I'm doing a lot of things I don't want to do. So I didn't want to come home and do the same thing in something that I'm choosing to do. You know, I wanted it to be something I was passionate about. So I find that also eliminating that stuff that I just don't like, even if it's easy, I just don't like it. I don't want to do it also really, really helps keep the momentum going. Yeah, for sure. And I would say that's one of the pieces to making sure that you're building a business that you're going to want to continue working in and that you're going to want to scale and, and build. And just focus the money on those items that have that biggest return on investment. And some of them that are outside of just task and busy work are coaching and mentorship. So a coach or mentor who's in the field or industry that you're interested in or doing something that you're trying to get started is going to save you a ton of time and a ton of wasted money on trial and error. I wish I would have got one sooner than I did, because then I would have definitely saved thousands, thousands of dollars. I totally agree with that. I see the same thing even with certain programs or courses. Hmm. So in the beginning, I would say I don't have the money to pay for that or to learn this skill through this person. And I find that people, when they first start their financial journey, whether it's even just getting a money coach or someone to help them through their finances, they don't see the value in it or they don't understand why it's important. when really what it is, is that person is there to guide you, help you step over like those pitfalls, help you navigate those treacherous occasions that you could otherwise avoid. And so I found that when I actually started investing 
in those things and those resources. I haven't actually found a business mentor or coach yet. I'm looking for the right one. But I found that when I've invested in other things that I've seen so much growth and return versus if I would have said, okay, I'm not going to spend money on that. I'd rather figure it out myself. I completely agree. And until you can afford what you really want to do, like say you found that coach and you're like, yes, until you can do that, I tell people, like you said, get the courses, get that person's book, start where you can. And even that is going to save you a lot of time and money. Mm -hmm. And I also want to make it clear that while Journey Taunch is more online, a lot of the stuff I do is virtual as a business. And there are so many virtual businesses. So there's probably a lot of bloggers and coaches or just people who want to start more online things listening. There are also some product-based businesses. What we're talking about works for any type of business, I would think, right? Like it's not just digital products or online things. Oh, no, definitely. I would say other things that give a really great return on investment. So one, we just talked about the coaching and the mentorship. Also networking. You can network online as well as offline. So I'm not talking about just going to some kind of networking event in your city. Well, that's great if you want to network locally. You can also network online through Facebook groups and forums and social media, reaching out on Twitter. Twitter is great because you don't have to be friends with the person (laughs) in order to reach out and be able to contact them. And I've gotten so much more revenue come in through relationships I've made through networking than I have just through advertising or putting things out there. So networking definitely is one of those things. I would definitely agree. I think it's one of the biggest assets you have. Part of it is your ability to network properly. If you're in an industry or if you have an interest in something and there's someone that you admire doing the same thing. Like, I think it's equally important to like, yes, you can reach for the stars and have like the big, big names and the people who are really, really maybe where you want to be ultimately. But I also find that it, it, the easier connections are people who are maybe just slightly above you or even just at the same level mm-hmm. because you get to grow and learn with each other. And I remember when I first started, a lot of the opportunities that are coming to me now or the things that are happening outside of my own work have been through the networking that I've done online and even, you know, in person a bit when I go to some conferences. But I really find that fascinating because there's so many people who do want to help, but you also have to be smart about it. You can't just go into a relationship asking, asking. You have to like show what you can also give. But yes, very important to network and to find allies in whatever it is that you're looking to do. Right, exactly. And it's very important, yeah, that you give first and then ask. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And if you do it properly, they'll probably ask, well, oh, well, thanks for helping me. How can I help you? And in person, don't be one of those people who just hand out the business cards to everybody. Most of those cards are going to get dropped somewhere or they're going to go in the trash. I'm just being honest with you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Have the conversation so that they ask for your business card. Then you know they're actually going to keep it. And they're going to write a little note so they remember who you are and they're going to follow up with you. Or you're going to follow up with them and they're going to remember who you are. So if you're networking in person, you know, have that conversation, showcase your value, ask that person who they are, have a natural conversation, and then they're going to ask for your business card. Mm -hmm. Like, don't just start off by whipping it out. And finding sometimes that common ground. I find that most people... 
while yes, it's business related, the best thing to do is connect on a non-business level. So finding the things that you have in common that have really nothing to almost do with the business or the hustle you're thinking about, whether that is you both live in a certain area or you both like a certain type of movie. And that's harder to find out, obviously, online. But you never know. Some people get a little more personal, share more personal things. Maybe they're married. Maybe they have kids. So connecting also on that level, because what I find is people like to help people who remind them of themselves or they can see themselves in and connect with. Mm -hmm. And so that's the best way to create like those more deeper connections versus I want to learn how to start a podcast. Like, let me pick your brain. It's more of wow, like I see that you also are married with kids and you're doing a podcast. Like, how do you find the time to do that? Because I'm struggling to find the time. Those kind of conversations to me with those connection points are a lot stronger and will typically get the person's attention than just straight asking them for facts or tips. Yeah, the relationship is key. Create and cultivate that relationship before you ask for anything. And the same goes for your customers, your potential customers and clients. You got to cultivate that relationship. You got to create an experience. And I will say that's another thing that you should focus that startup money on is making sure that you are giving your customers and your clients a phenomenal experience to the best of your ability so that they have a great experience because referrals are gold so that when they go and talk about you, you're creating a great brand because they're talking about you in a positive light and saying, hey, you should really check them out. Okay, so these are all great tips and I think a good conversation around Side hustle. So let's say now someone has a side hustle, they're doing it, hopefully it's making some sort of money. How can they turn that into a successful business? So turning a side hustle into a full-fledged successful business, what are some frameworks or models that you encourage people to follow or think about? I would say to make sure that you have earned and passive income in your business. So earned income is income or revenue stream that requires your direct time and energy, while a passive revenue stream is something that you do the work and you set it up, but then it's kind of evergreen. It runs by itself. You have scheduled marketing and people can buy in at any time because then you become scalable. So you only have so much time and energy. And even if you're working your business until you leave that job, you are really constrained on time. And so if your revenue is completely dependent on the time that you have, you're capping your revenue. So if you have those passive revenue streams, you have a more scalable business because you can scale those up and it doesn't require your time and energy. So that's one thing is to make sure you have that a revenue pyramid where there's earned and passive income. Mm-hmm. The other thing would be to make sure that you design your sales funnel. Don't leave it up to chance. Don't rely on just one way of getting customers. Design different sales funnels and then optimize them. And a sales funnel is really just a process to attract visitors and what you lead them through and what they experience to turn them into customers. Mm -hmm. Right. So really flush that out and then test it so that it becomes repeatable. It's a repeatable process to get customers. Right. And this, again, it's not just like digital online stuff, because I'm sure if you are a hairdresser or you're doing something that's in more in person, there's still a sales funnel process of the client or person, potential customer needs to first see you, meet you, or be exposed to your business. And then there's still a process to get them to then want to commit or purchase something. 
Right, exactly. Every business has to have sales funnels. Think of when you are shopping. You have a sales process that you go through, right? You have a buying process that you go through. So whether you're the type of person that, okay, I like to do my research and do comparative shopping first to figure out where I want to go. All right, now I figured out where's the price point that works and has the best product for me at that price point. Now I'm going to go there and check it out in person and then I'm going to buy. Right. So that's a process. There are some people who are like, okay, that's my favorite store. I'm going into my favorite store. I know it has the products that I need or whatever products that are there in my favorite store. Those are the ones I'm going to choose from and I'm going to get it. People go in with different frame of minds when they're buying something. Some people are just comparative shopping. They're going to check something out. They don't need it right this second. So they're going to do their research. They can take their time. When it goes on sale, they'll get it. Or, okay, when the time goes towards the event that they're looking at, then they're going to buy it. Or some people are like, okay, I need this specifically tomorrow. It's something that I need immediately. I'm going to go to the first store that I see that it has it. Okay, I'm grabbing it, and then I'm going to go. Everyone has a frame of mind, and they have a buying process. So when they come to you, they're somewhere in their buying process. You got to have a sales funnel to take them through so that they can buy from you. Mm -hmm. And I think, too, while you're talking, I'm thinking about how you do need to create a platform or a service or product first. So maybe there's some people you're, you're listening and you're just like, this all sounds great. I do need to come up with a side hustle or something else to help boost my income. And part of that is, okay, what do I create? What do I do? And that's probably a whole nother podcast, which actually I did a podcast about side hustles with Chris Gillibo and he talked about figuring out what your side hustle should be. So you can go back and listen to that. But even if you start something, because a lot of people also start things from just a passion, right? Like for me, this was just a passion. I wanted to help people. I just love talking about personal finance. I wanted to share my story. But as I got further along into it, I realized that, well, if I want to continue helping people and if I want to help as much people as possible, I need to generate revenue. I need to turn this into a business because as much as I want to just give, 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 it would be a disservice to not figure out a way to monetize this because the more I can monetize, the more I can give and to a larger net of people. So some people might be thinking, all right, this is so business minded, obviously, because this is supposed to be more of a business minded episode. But don't discredit or don't think that it's going to be a problem to try to make money. That is the point of a business. Sometimes people think I'm thinking about customers and selling and maybe I don't want to be salesy because it's supposed to be a passion. But like, no, in order for you to then pay off that debt, make that extra income, you need to make a profit. You need to figure out how to make money. So I just wanted to interject that because I think some people, maybe it's just me, struggled with that part of it about making money and why it's actually good to think about making money. Oh, no, definitely. I think especially anyone who starts up with a passion and a need to give back or a service-based business, you start with that, I need to give. Um, that's how we started the nonprofit. Um, when I started that with the other co-founders, was like, okay, we see this need in the community. We see these women, we need to give back. And we started with having a lot of things at extremely low cost. And to the point where it was like, just break even or to our detriment. And it's like, it's okay, because, you know, we're, we're giving back, we're helping out. You have to give from your overflow. You can't be empty and expect to give to someone else. Give them what? So you have to give from your overflow. 
Because if you're not taking care of self, you can't serve the best that you can to someone else. So that's the first thing is to give from your overflow because then you're able to give them the best of you. The next piece is if you're worried about being salesy, you're not just selling someone something, you're providing a solution. So the person is coming to you no matter what your business is, no matter what your side hustle is, because they have a problem. If you sell clothes, I need an outfit for a wedding. That's a problem. I'm looking at your outfits. I'm looking at your clothes. I'm looking at your inventory. You need to assist me with my problem. If you sell jewelry, hey, I'm looking for something to complement this outfit. That's a problem for me. I need to purchase something. You are providing a solution for me. I need to look at your inventory. I need to look at your jewelry. Whatever your business is, you're providing a solution to someone. So don't think of it as I'm pushing something on someone. No, hey, you have a problem. You need an outfit for your wedding. Well, here's my selection. You're doing that online and you're doing that in person, whatever your business is. So whether you're selling things online, you have a service that you're providing online. If you're a graphic designer, if you're whatever, someone has a problem, you're providing a solution. Mm. Yeah, I like that reinforcement of why it's important. And I love the concept of you can't give, you know, to give from an overflow. Like you can't deplete yourself and expect to give your best. Right. Well, this has been an amazing conversation. I really hope listeners, you journeyers, you got a lot from this. If you are thinking about a side hustle, you have a side hustle. I mean, I think Dr. Maria James dropped a lot of gems. I know I got some great tidbits and insights. So, Maria, how can people find out more about you? How can they reach you? You also have a podcast. So just talk a little bit about that. Yes. So I have a podcast, Pocket of Money podcast. That's the name of it. And basically, I talk about entrepreneurship journey and building your business as well as personal finance and how can you create a legacy of wealth. So those are the the topics all around that that I speak on. And I have um, guests come onto the podcast and we talk and converse about those things as well as you can find it on my website, pocketofmoney.com. So I have articles and I also post the show notes for the podcast at pocketofmoney.com. And I have free resources there as well that people can check out business related as well as personal finance related resources. All right. And I will link all of that in the show notes. so Everyone can get in touch with you. Thanks so much again, Maria, for coming on the podcast. Thank you. This was great. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Dr. Maria James. Again, if you want the episode show notes, go to journeytolaunch.com slash episode 46. I hope there were some takeaway items and things you can think about on how to apply it to your life. So if you are starting a side hustle, if you already have a side hustle, what can you incorporate? What can you do to help you move forward. And once again, thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate you listening. If you want to connect some more, follow me on all social media at Journey to Launch on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Don't forget to share the podcast out with your family, friends, and loved ones on social media and Facebook groups, wherever you'd like. (laughs) Also, One last thing, leave that review if you are enjoying the podcast. That's if you're listening to it in Apple Podcast. Of course, you can find this podcast anywhere. Spotify, Android on your Android phone, 
Stitcher, Google Play, even on YouTube. So it can really be found anywhere. You can get the links to all those places if you go to the episode show notes at journeytolange.com slash episode 46. And then you can share that out or text it out to your family and friends. All right, journeyers, until next week, keep on journeying. Mm-hmm.